0: Hey everybody, my name is David Boris
1: And I'm Frankie C
0: And this is Everybody Sucks The podcast where we explore the struggles and triumphs of the journey from amateur to professional
1: People think that artists are born great at what they do But the truth is, in the beginning Everybody Everybody sucks. Sucks
0: All right, everybody, welcome to the show today And with us, we got none other than Jimmy Thao. Jimmy, how you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing awesome, dude. Thanks uh, for having me.
0: It's so good to have you here, man. Just so you fellows and ladies out there know, Jimmy Thao was a CCMA-nominated, platinum-selling songwriter and producer, having produced singles alongside Grammy and CMA-nominated producer Brad Hill. He worked with Maren Morris, Brothers Osborne, as well as Brian Howes, who worked with Nickelback and Daughtry. Since his move to Nashville from Vancouver, Canada, Jimmy has penned seven top 10 singles at Canadian Country Radio and has had his songs streamed over 50 million times globally and has received over 100 million radio airplay impressions. Jimmy has written or produced songs for and with Blake Shelton, Joe Nichols, Ty Herndon, Terry Clark, Nayo, Bailey Zimmerman, Chad Kroger, Favor Drive, Brian Kelly, Randy Jackson, Jamie Floyd, Tay Bay, Logan Mize, Jess Moskaluk, Tim Hicks, Gale, and many others. Many, many others. <laughs> Jimmy is also signed to a worldwide publishing deal with Anthem Entertainment. Jimmy Thao, great to see you, buddy. Dang. Dude, good to
2: see you guys.
0: So good to have you here, because again, full disclosure, you are from... North Vancouver, British Columbia. North Van, represent. <laughs> represent. Jimmy, it's, it's so great to have you here, buddy. You and me go way back, so it's so nice to have you on the show and to get to hear your story shared with the world because one of the things I was thinking about is so many songwriters work behind the scenes. And they don't often get to tell their story unless it's on podcasts that are sort of specifically focused on music. So it's a real honor to have you here to get you to tell your story, buddy.
2: Dude, thank you, man. I mean, this is super cool for me. I, I, when you told me about this concept, I was like actually kind of blown away by it. I feel like I feel like a lot of people are going to want to do this podcast.
0: Oh well, that's great, man. Because it's so. like
2: the side of the music business you don't. Everyone's showing their highlight reel no one shows the behind the scenes right yeah.
1: <laughs> the sucky side no one
2: shows
0: the sucky side
2: there's
1: so much suck yeah there's there's a lot. lot of suck
0: there's <laughs> a lot of suck out there and hopefully we can show how it's good to suck
2: i feel like you have to suck before
0: anything happens well that's uh exactly it i think that's the yeah. purpose of the show that's the core of it
1: sucking at something's the first step at being sort of good at something
2: yeah i sucked a whole lot last week uh, one day it still, I still suck sometimes. You know
0: what I mean? It, That's so funny with songwriting, isn't it? It's just like you think you got it, that you just have a day where you're like, no,
2: I suck. Oh, dude, it's like, it's not even day to day for me, it's minute to minute. Like, I'll be like, <laughs> I think I got this. Next minute, I'm like, nope, we're quitting. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like,
0: wow, that wraps up the musician mentality all in one. I think all of us go through that.
2: Dude, I think so. I, I think it's part of it. I just feel like there's something about process that will leave you hanging eventually at some point
0: at some point yeah and then fulfill you at another
2: point constantly yeah no
0: it's this up and down ride
2: it is It's
1: so bipolar i wouldn't
2: it change it though i love it because if you were rocking at 10 out of 10 all the time i think you'd lose the appreciation for it i mean that's true.
0: that's absolutely true i think if, if we didn't have the bad days then the good days wouldn't be good yeah. days right exactly yeah. So let's take us back
2: then, Jimmy,
0: to how it all kind of began. Like, When did you fall in love with music and think of music as something you wanted to do?
2: Well, I think as a baby, I mean, my mom has pictures of me with headphones on uh, listening to like vinyl. And I remember my aunt, the Thriller album with Michael Jackson. I remember loving listening to that. We didn't actually have a ton of music growing up in the house, but as a baby, I think there was more of it. And my aunt, brought a little bit of that music we'd go for drives in her car and um, you know listen to music and I, Lionel Richie was playing and stuff like that And I'm aging myself but a lot of those old records were so musical and I feel like I caught the bug but I also did have a grandfather who he was a singer during World War II he was an airplane mechanic and he was a singer and he won on the CBC radio it was called like popular singer competition but he was like a crooner he would sing kind of like You know, yeah, the standards. But he won this competition, and he kept winning these competitions. And he had a really amazing voice. He sounds like Sinatra, and uh, so I feel like there's a little bit of genetic mixed with some early, really great inspirations musically. Did you know him at all? Yeah, I knew my grandfather. I think he passed away maybe when he was 76. But yeah, no, I I knew him all growing up. And he wasn't doing music when I was growing up. He kind of went on to raise a family. And I didn't really know that about him. And I didn't have the appreciation of what he had done till after he passed away. But yeah, my uncle put together all these records and recordings and they're all scratchy and vinyl and and they're really cool to look back on. And you've listened to quite a few of them? Oh yeah, I'm actually trying right now to find a way to sample some of his old stuff into new music. Oh, oh my that's gosh. That's so cool. That's yeah. amazing. You know what I mean? Just like, bring it back.
0: I think there's like a huge space in today's musical landscape for that sort of retro bring into the modern world.
2: I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, hip-hop does it all the time. For me, there's something spiritual about that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. your grandfather's old stuff, it's almost like, I think he's probably listening, you know? Yeah.
1: I feel like when you bring in samples, they add that emotional undertone. Yeah. So to have it be your grandfather and then, like, write a song to that, I feel like would be a very meta experience. Right.
2: It's interesting because I've always thought of... With songs, they seem to outlive you, right? Mm. I don't know that I'd want to be eternal necessarily or like a human being forever, but it's kind of cool to know that when you pass, you can leave something behind that kind of goes on forever, right?
1: The good and the bad.
2: The good and the bad. (laughs) Yes. Hopefully, more good than bad.
0: Hopefully. Yeah. So clearly, you have a deep mind about music. And I know from just knowing you personally that you think a lot about the connection between the universe and God and music and people. And that is obviously a product of a long, long journey. So when we go back to this young Jimmy Thaw, when do you first start doing music? What's your earliest kind of memories of that?
2: Well, I remember singing. I would always drive around in this 1981 Volkswagen Rabbit that my mom gave me, she was going to sell it for like 900 bucks and she just gave it to me. And so it was like a little golf cart, I had a golf ball shifter. And uh, I would remember just listening to the radio and I would sing along to the radio. And I was always trying to emulate the singer on the radio. I wanted to sing it exactly like they sang it. And so I was like very much a copycat. I wanted to sing all the runs and see if I could do it. So I started to find my voice doing that. Just, you know, singing in the shower. You know, I remember I was doing their dishes. I remember and my sister said, you have a really good voice. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, like wow. little things like that. You know, people mention things. And, you know, I'd like to say something deep here, Dave, but truthfully, I think maybe around seventeen, eighteen, I was singing with a friend of mine at a party and some girls noticed. And, uh... It was game over.
0: <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm glad you didn't say something deep Yeah, right? It's like, come on. Yeah, the only reason I got into music originally was to, chicks. Be, to meet chicks.
2: Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that's, that's just the way it was. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, classic. I mean, that's a starting point, right? But uh, yeah, I remember I had a buddy of mine, Steve, and he played the guitar a lot, but I didn't play guitar at the time. I was a late bloomer. I learned guitar around 19. And uh he was good at at guitar. And so he would play it and then he would sing. And because I was singing to the radio, I knew how to harmonize. So I would harmonize to him. And I was like, oh, this is cool. It sounds awesome. It was just something, music just kept me in the present moment. It took me out of my problems. It took me away from like anxieties and overthinking stuff.
0: It sounds like something you trusted a lot.
2: Yeah. I mean, it just kind of came naturally to me. I feel like A lot of music I had to figure out, and I'm still figuring out, but melodies and stuff like that, I feel like that was because of the radio, listening to the radio a lot. Melodies came really naturally to me. So I was like, I think anybody when they're young wants to, you know, when they find something that they're half good at, they kind of go, oh, maybe I could do something with that. You know what I mean? I wasn't that great at playing hockey. I wasn't that great at math. You know what I mean? So I found something that I thought I could be good at. And it really made me happy, and I could escape my own head when I was doing music, so it still is an escape for me.
0: Was there, like, music around you, or were you kind of an oddity amongst your your group of friends? I was kind of an oddity, I think, dude.
2: There was a lot of athletes. I wanted to be an athlete. I was going to the gym, I was doing this, but I was always kind of average at it. You know, I was okay at playing street ball, but, like, when it came to, like, having a coach breathing down my neck, I kind of didn't like the pressure. I just was never that great at it. So, and I didn't know you could do, you know, like, I, I'd seen, you know, people on TV, the rock stars and all this stuff. But I never believed I could do that. And then I remember meeting this guy who was kind of a manager, investor type guy. And he says, hey, man, I want to record a couple songs on you. And so I said, oh, my God, this is crazy. I'm going to do that. And we did it. And that was when I started to get some of the affirmation that maybe this is something I could do and maybe you could make a living doing it.
0: Did this guy, sorry, did he like just hear you singing one day and then go, I want to record you?
2: I think I was in a band. I was in a band called Running Red Lights uh, with my buddy Alan Stokes. Shout out to Alan Stokes. Yeah, shout out to Alan Stokes. Great guitar player and a great friend. But we would go around and we'd play like kind of a rock band kind of thing and we garage rock and and I think he saw me playing there and he said, Dude, you know, let's maybe we can work on some stuff, like you know, you and me on some stuff. Like I want to show you how what it's like to put together songs in a form and, and with arrangements and like how to actually make a, a commercial song. So he kind of showed, showed me a bunch of the ropes and we ended up recording that song.
0: And so he pulls you from this band and this becomes Jimmy Thao.
2: Yeah, that became Jimmy Thao. He kind of like wrote a lot of the music and I had no clue what I was doing lyrically at the time, but I did have some melodies. So I was like, I can do this melodies. And I was just trying to fit words into the, the melodies and sound. I was trying to sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> and looking back, I did not succeed, but it's a starting point, right?
1: Okay, well, here we go. Let's play it. This is how I feel. Embrace the suck.
0: Yes. I wasn't expecting, that. I was not expecting this either.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are like digital guitars just panned.
1: I was thinking it was going to be country. Dude, your
2: voice sounds really good. (laughs) I stole that first melody from Enrique Iglesias' song.
1: That's why it slaps. (laughs) That's
2: actually Ben Wooten from Exit This Side. You remember that, Ben? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Singing harmony.
0: I don't know. 13 year old me would have like... I know. This is like. This. this is boy crush stuff right here, <laughs> man. Dude.
2: Dude, that's so. I, I, just I was say kind of it. vibing it.
1: I kind of dig it, man. <laughs> wow.
2: What year was that again? Dude, it's like 21 years ago.
1: 2002, 2001. Yeah, okay. Because like I was thinking, it yeah, sounds like. It kind of
2: sounds
0: very like. It kind of sounds that time, you know, yeah,
2: it's got some Backstreet Boys in yeah. it. It's got some, but it's got a, it's like a pop rock thing. Yeah. There's yeah. some
0: Blink in there. And some Blink. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, there was a part of me for years that was, wanted to put that in the, in the closet and pretend it like it never happened, but looking back on it now, it's kind of cool. Like it's cringy for me because I look at it, I go, "Wow!" Like the lyrics are just literally. I'm like, "What? What words can I put in here and try to sound cool?" Like they're not trying to mean anything. There, you know what I mean? But I don't know. There's a part of me that's also proud of of putting something together because forever I would never, I wouldn't finish songs. I wouldn't finish anything. I was just hoping to do something. And when you finally put a period at the end of something and and, and actually put it out. Um, there's an element of a little bit of pride, but it's uh it's still pretty cringy.
0: It's interesting because your melodies are really strong. Like you can certainly tell like knowing that melodies were the first thing to come to you and knowing how you write now, you're so melodically <laughs> strong that yes, it's really interesting to hear that too. And you could hear that songwriter bit of you kind right. of like in that young, young
2: Jimmy Thou. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, the beginning melody, I when I listen to it, it goes in and out or breathe in and out. And uh, I remember consciously going, I want to do something like that Enrique Iglesias song. He goes, here's how it goes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounded like. Oh, my gosh. So, that is amazing. hook him in with a little Enrique. Come on. It's oh, not like Ed Sheeran doesn't do that stuff. So. <laughs> right, exactly. At least you were
1: pulling like from commercial inspiration and using that. That I is mean, interesting, That's actually. a skill that people learn later, and you were just doing it intuitively.
2: right. right. What oh, do they cool. say? Artist theft?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have this like book. It's called Steal Like an Artist.
2: Right. Some of the best artists. Are... Yeah. That's sure. why, they, why they have copyright law, right? I think yeah. you get six notes or something like that. Yeah. Before. So you get to five. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what it is? I, I feel like it's like the familiarity, right? Like every note's been played, right? Every word's been sung. Yeah. So it's kind of like, how do you do it in a way? And sometimes it's cool just to take something that's a little bit familiar and then bend it. And make it yours, because it's it's a lure, right? It's a lure to kind of like get someone to go, oh, why do I like this? And change it before it gets into the copyright infringement area. Do you ever feel right when
0: you write something, you're like, it kind of sounds like this? Like you feel like you're on the right track with something.
2: Dude, my favorite thing in rights is when someone says, did we rip this off, but can't figure out what it is? Because I feel like that's the magic. That's when you're like doing something that is resonating with people. Because they're saying, did we rip it off? What they're really saying is, this is good. But when you can't figure it out, I feel like you've done your job. It's like, there's something about it that's familiar, that's pulling at your heartstrings or pulling at you melodically in some way, but it's different and it's not traceable.
0: And it's incredible if you think about songwriters, because we all hyper-critique ourselves, hyper-critique songs. We hyper-edit. One of the big things that we have to work on being like, are we making this too complicated? Are we doing too much? And so to hear something to have a bunch of people in a room go wow I think this sounds like something but I can't put my finger on it. It's right. like we've got rid of all that experience for a second yeah. and we're just music fans yeah. embracing the melody,
2: right? I seriously I feel like when I hear that I'm like I get excited. I'm like but someone someone says that. I'm I'm pumped on it.
0: Man, it's so interesting you talking about songwriting and you got young Jimmy Thao who clearly has these melodic chops. But you have this long journey to go. Does Jimmy Thao eventually merge into Sons of Daughters?
2: So I told you how I was kind of embarrassed as I grew out of that phase. Oh, it's so poppy and cheesy. It's almost like looking back and you're in, in Sync. You might want to do Justin Timberlake, something a little more R&B and cooler sounding, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I love those old Sync records yeah. also. But like, I was struggling with confidence and I wanted to do something cool. I wanted to be cool. And so I went more into the rock side of things. You know, I joined a rock band. I actually moved to Winnipeg and was in a band that we sounded like Corn Meets Linkin Park. Nice. And we were chasing that. And it's like we we were pretty good. You know, we thought we were better than we were looking back. But it was a cool stepping stone. And then I went in even heavier. I went into a full-on metal band, and uh, we were called Machines, and we did some really heavy stuff. You know, I wasn't a screamer, necessarily. I was more kind of like Brandon Boyd from Incubus. He sings melodically over heavy music, that kind of stuff. And it was after that, after Machines, that I realized, I go, you know what, I'm still trying to find my voice. I've been in all these bands. I'm still trying to find my voice. And at the end of that phase, I was feeling a bit more confident in what I was doing, in myself as a songwriter and I was like I really want to find what suits me like who am I because I'm trying to be all these different things at the beginning I was just trying to be successful so I thought I'd do a pop rock thing because that was what was successful at the time or like what I thought was successful and then I wanted to be cool and I was doing all these things that were heavier than I was so I was like man where do I land where, where does my voice land and I met at the time Crystal Crystal and we started writing songs. And at first I was kind of like, Crystal was in a band that had a record deal. I was like, oh man, maybe I can write a song with her. But we really had a great chemistry and we started singing together and I really loved how our voices sounded together. And I said, you know what, this is cool because I took a lot of the heavy inspirations that I had from these metal bands and I started playing a lot of those riffs on a D acoustic guitar and it sounded swampy. It sounded kind of like on the porch kind of thing, right? And that to me was just like, this is it. This is where I finally feel like I'm singing a song. I'm not gonna blow my voice out. I could go on tour and sing this every night. I'm loving that I can sing melodies. I'm singing with Crystal, who I felt really complimented my voice. And so we went on a run. I think we were in a band together for eight years. We got a record deal. We, you know, we had lots of fun adventures, you know, lots of ups and downs, but just a cool, cool journey.
1: With both of you coming from a rock background at that point, how did you end up getting into country together?
2: I think it was that when we met up, we're like, let's write a song. And my instrument was the guitar. So I wasn't a piano player. I grabbed acoustic guitar. And I started learning acoustic guitar playing drop D. Because I could only do one finger at a time. And so out of that, because no one really taught me how to play guitar, I found these little things where you could start bending the notes. And when you bend the notes like that on a drop D, it sounds really swampy. So I feel like it just organically started happening. And then we f- we saw bands like the Civil Wars playing stuff like that, Barton Hollow. But we, uh, we just were just like, oh, my God, look at that duo. They're doing that. That is so badass. Let's try something like that and play in that world.
0: Where does Nashville come into this situation now? So you're... You're in this incredible duo, and you guys were incredible. Thanks, man. Um, and you guys were so amazing to watch, and your voices, they really did complement each other so well. But you're in Vancouver,
2: correct? Yes, Vancouver at the time. And how does Nashville enter into your zeitgeist? So we got hooked up. We had a friend named Mimi Northcott, and she managed a guy named Mike Fraser. Mike Fraser is a legend, and he's um, a mixer, produced lots of records also. I think he's internationally known for his mixing. You know, he mixed, I think, five or six ACDC records, Aerosmith Records, Metallica, or Guns N' Roses, just you name it. And he really started taking a liking to what we we're doing. We started working with him. and doors kept opening for us for sons of daughters. Like, you know, we needed to pay for a record. And we had this investor come in and say, Hey, we're going to help you pay for a record with Mike. And, you know, we did that record. And then we ended up having dinner with ACDC when they were in town to record with Mike. And the bass player said, Oh my God, I love this record. My wife's is one of my wife's favorite records is your record. I was just like, what's happening here. This is crazy. So we said, we you know we want to take this to the next level. And, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but we ended up getting a record deal in Canada with open road recordings. And so we were kind of this swampy acoustic band and open road kind of had a more of a radio lane. And so we said, we, you know, we wanted, we wanted to bridge what we were doing and also get played on the radio. So we started to write songs that were kind of left or right of what we were doing. And, you know, we had a couple songs that did well on the radio and we did some tours and stuff like that. And Ron said, what do you guys want to do? And I said, well, we want to make it, we want to be an international band. This is Ron Kitchener, Ron Kitchener, yeah, who's our manager and, and the label head. He goes, well, if you want to be an international and country, you need to go to Nashville. And so we said, let's do it. I mean, at the time, I had no ties. I had been married before that, and it didn't work out. We got divorced. I didn't have any kids. I was, you know, living with my friend John. And I was like... I'm all about that. Let's do it. You know, and I had a love for songwriting and I wanted to go pursue that also. And so we came down here and we just gave it a go. And um, yeah, it was awesome.
1: What was it like first getting here?
2: When we first got here, I feel like Sons of Daughters had a lot of traction. I remember one of the first rights we got was with Mitchell Tenpenny. And we probably didn't have any business being in those rooms, truthfully. You know, we had a lot of growing to do, but I think that they took us seriously because they had heard our record and maybe liked it, but also that we did have a record deal. So a lot, I think a lot of songwriters, you know, are interested in working with artists with deals because they can actually monetize their songwriting through getting a cut.
3: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot,
2: And so we got all these opportunities, and I said, "Oh my god, this is easy." We're meeting with Sony and Universal, and all these people are, you know, seem to be liking us. I'm like, "We're gonna get a record deal in two seconds here. This is, this is easy. You just all you gotta do is move to Nashville, and you're gonna be a big famous rock star." And very quickly, after a bunch of meetings, we realized that you know, I remember going to going to Sony and taking a meeting, and they were all about us. They're, man, you guys are the next big thing. Da 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 da. And then they said, okay, we're going to be in touch with you. So then we we reached out to them a week later, and we just never heard back. They wouldn't answer or re- reply to us. Oh. So we had this heartbreak, like, what? These people told us one thing and did another? It's like, welcome to the music business, right? And so mm-hmm. we just learned really quickly that, okay, well, we kind of started off hot, and then we kind of like lost some traction, and we couldn't get a lot of the rights that we were getting in the very beginning. And so it was almost like we started off on a bit of a peak, went into a valley and really had to grind. And, and we did that. And we really worked our asses off. You know, we would play pubs and bars and go around making nothing. And, you know, I was living in a $300 a month room where the when it rained, the water would come through the ceiling. And it was oh, just man. like, you know what I mean? I was getting, you know, I wasn't 18 anymore. You know what I mean? I was getting older. And it was like, this is getting kind of old. But we love music. So we kept going. But yeah, Nashville, definitely there was a learning curve. I mean, looking at it now, looking back on it, I would never have changed it. I would do that all over again because I can kind of see how it works. You really do have to put your time in. I mean, they call it a 10-year town some people come in and they do it in six months some people never get there but there's something to that saying about a 10-year town where the more you stay here the more you get immersed in it the more you learn from amazing writers and you get opportunities and you inevitably grow and kind of looking back on that i feel like everything i'm doing right now is because of the people i've worked with and i wouldn't be doing that if i was back in vancouver there aren't those resources that there are in nashville
0: When does your relationship with songwriting begin to evolve down here?
2: I think it was there already because I was always interested in songwriting. I remember growing up when I would buy CDs. You guys remember what those are? (laughs) I remember what I would do. I would go to HMV. It's a store in Vancouver. You get to see your favorite CD, right? I got the Rascals hip hop record. Oh, yeah. I'd rip it open and I would read the credits. That was my favorite thing. Who did that? And I started listening to all these pop records and I would see this guy on all these records, Max Martin. Mm -hmm. I was like, who is this guy? I love this one song. I love this other song. And then Max Martin's on both of them. Like, who is that guy? I want to be that guy. And so it was just really cool for me to learn about it. You know, I realized songwriting was a thing. You could be a a person that wrote songs for other people, not just for your own thing. So it was always on my mind. So when I came to Nashville, that was on my mind. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write for Keith Urban and do all that stuff. Being in a band, you know, I always identified as being a songwriter also. It was a simultaneous thing Mm -hmm. for me. Did you find being
0: in a band was challenging to explore the side of you that identified as a songwriter?
2: Yes and no. I mean, I feel like Crystal and I were growing as songwriters together, and we would go into rooms and work with people that were in Nashville that were doing amazing things. So we would learn, man, how does that guy do that? I would even ask him. I would say, dude, how did you come up with that lyric? Like, what are you thinking? And I remember this one guy, Jason, telling me, man, I just kind of like swim out. It's like a coral reef, you know, and the, there's like the main lane in the coral reef. And that's where all the lyrics that you've heard a million times are. But dude, if you spend a little time and you go off into the nooks and crannies, you know, you can find some cool fish you've never seen before. You know what I mean? And wow. it's, I was like, that's really cool. So just like take some time. Like I remember really thinking it was cool when I came to town. This one guy, doesn't matter what his name is, but like I heard he wrote 400 songs a year. And that to me was the badge of honor. Oh my God, I want to be that guy that writes 400 songs a year. But that turned years later into, I actually don't know if I want to be that guy. Because then I heard about some guys that write 10 songs a year and all of them go number one. It's like, is this a quantity game or is this a quality game, right? So there's been like a constant evolution of learning about how this town works, how songs work. Dude, I'm like nowhere near cracking the code. I feel like I got a few tricks up my sleeve, but it's like literally every day is like a learning thing.
0: So you go from Sons of Daughters and now you're this accomplished songwriter. Could you walk us through sort of how Sons of Daughters, this band that was so pivotal in your life, how does that fall apart and you enter in this new phase of your life?
2: Well, I feel like being in a band is almost like being in a marriage. You spend so much time together. You're on the road. So, I mean, I don't know anyone that's married that doesn't sometimes get rubbed the wrong way by the person they're with, right? So, you know, Crystal was actually an awesome bandmate. And we were really good friends and really close, but we spent a lot of time together. And, you know, I feel like I had my dream, she had her dream, and we had our dream. And so, like, extrapolate out eight years into that, I feel like there were some crossings of the wires. And I found it kind of hit a wall for me when we were looking at these summer festivals. And we had done a couple seasons of festival season, and I realized I had to do all these tracks to get all the tracks ready. And for the first time, I didn't want to do them. And I was going, why don't I want to do this? Because I just want to be writing songs. I want to sit here Mm -hmm. at my French press in the morning, I love French press. Yeah, I love French press too. That sounds pretty high society, but... No, it's good coffee. It's good. If
1: it's not freshly ground.
0: Come on, right? Oh, yeah. Being a coffee snob is like a legit (laughs) thing. Like, I think
2: it's acceptable. Dude, I don't drink anymore. And like, so coffee, I'm all about coffee. That's my fun time now in the morning. So I feel like we hit a wall and I didn't want to do the band anymore. And yeah, I could say, oh, yeah, she did this and I did that. It wasn't about that, right? Maybe for a minute, that was what I was thinking it was about. But for for me, it was really me being in alignment with what it was that was pulling at me. And that was the songwriting. That was the the behind-the-scenes stuff. I really like that. I say French press, but what I mean is I like being in one spot. I like to kind of wake up and have a routine. I like to be in one town. I don't want to go out and do it. You know, there was some stuff for me, you know, like I said, I don't drink anymore, but like being on the road, I was drinking all the time. When I think of being on the road, I see an unhealthy version of myself that's anxious, that's worried about singing, that's drinking before every set, that's drinking after the set. And now I just feel more in alignment with my purpose. So that had to happen. And, you know, it was tough. It was a tough breakup. But Things are cool now. I feel like Crystal and I are on good terms. And I know we're both doing things that are more fulfilling for ourselves now. Do you
0: feel now that you're not drinking that your anxiety levels have gone down?
2: Oh, dude. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. I hit a wall with my anxiety. I had to change. It's like people say you have to hit bottom to change. I had to hit bottom. I was like literally struggling in my own mind to be able to function. And I met my wife and I was like, man, I like met this woman... I'm so in love with her. We got this life together. It's awesome. My career is going up. My marriage is looking great. It's like, I got things going for myself. For me, knowing that it just was going to become an unhealthy habit that I'm going to continuously do, it was never a moderation thing for me. So it was like, I want to keep going up. I have goals. I have things I want to do. I want to keep my marriage great. I want to keep healthy. I want to keep my career ascending. I want to build a lifestyle that is sustainable. And it wasn't the way it was going. So I just decided to pull the pin on it. And, dude, I was worried that I wasn't going to be as creative. But I feel like my creativity has gone up significantly. And I feel like my productivity has gone up significantly. So I looked at it like, if you have a V6 engine... I was running off of one or two Pistons. Now I'm able to run off all six. So I can go faster and do more. And I can get further quicker. And to me, those things mattered more than drinking and getting anxiety.
0: How so, long you been sober for?
2: Almost a year and a half. Good for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Congrats. So you come out of the band.
0: You meet the love of your life. Yes. Do you want to say who she is?
2: Yeah, her name's Jamie
0: Floyd. So the amazing, talented Jamie Floyd. Yes, great she's singer, amazing. great writer, great, great lots of things. So now you guys are like this kind of power couple. You clean it up and you end up with Anthem. Would you walk us through just a little bit of how that came about?
2: Yeah, so I'd known Jills for years. Jills uh, is the president now of Anthem. And he had followed our band, Sons of Daughters, for years. Just for people to know,
0: Jill is... A really big fan of a lot of the Canadians that come to Nashville, and he's always very supportive of a lot of people who come down and meet with him.
2: Yeah, Gilles has always been a champion. Always felt his support, and he's so positive. I was writing songs, and I was looking for a deal, and I remember sending him a few songs, and he goes, "Dude, this is sick. These are really good songs." And I was like, "Okay." And so, yeah, I guess we would have gone for dinner and talked kind of more casually. And I remember him hitting a wall, going, "Uh, "Dude." I can't sign you right now, but I really want to. So I was like, "Okay, whenever you're ready to sign me, dude." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And uh, just one thing led to another. I kept, I kept handing in, turning in songs and showing him stuff, and uh, he basically said, "Yeah, let's go." He pulled the trigger at one point. And uh, I think I'm in my third year with Anthem so far.
0: What's your favorite cut you've gotten while you've been with them?
2: Dude, it blows me away how I can't remember the songs I've written sometimes. There's a few things right now that I'd say are the most exciting things that I've done. Some of them I don't want to jinx because they're in the works. But at the same time, a cut's a cut for me. It's exciting when anybody wants to record your song. You know what I mean? Like, I get excited about all of them. And then there's something about me that kind of moves on to the next one, right? I think that's a very common
0: songwriter mentality. I think, you know, speaking for myself, and I hope maybe you agreed in the room, but we're always moving forward, right? If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. There's that mentality, I think, with all of us, right? It's like, sweet, the cut was yesterday. You wake up tomorrow, you know?
2: Yeah. Gotta do it again. Yeah, exactly. I feel like the business is built for that. But I'm trying to counter that because I feel like it's an unhealthy thing. Because then when you have a success, you're always looking over the shoulder of that success looking for the next one and you're not really appreciating what you have. So I'm trying to like learn to be more present and just to be like, dude, let's enjoy the journey. The most exciting moment for that Joe Nichols, Blake Shelton song, the most exciting moment I had wasn't when we found out that Blake was coming on with the song. It was when we came up with one of the lines in the song. I jumped off my chair because I'm like, this line is sick. That feeling trumped The feeling of finding out that they were cutting it so it's like what am i doing celebrating all this finality like why can't i just be excited about what i'm doing right now that is the eternal that's the infinite right there so i'm trying to really embrace that and be present in rooms and realize that this is as high as it gets right now
0: dude that is preach man
2: dude it took a long time i'm still getting it i'm not perfect at that but i feel like i know that's right you know
0: I was going to ask what excites you as a songwriter, but I think you just like hit it. You talked about the line. Like when you get that line and you jump out of the seat. Dude, it's like it's when the hair stands
2: up on your arm. I feel like there's signals that happen in the room where like God is talking to you. It's like your hair stands up on your arm. Chill goes up your spine. Like how is it if we're all writing a song that we all know when the line's right? There's no like pamphlet that tells us or manual, right? You just know. So like that knowing is like, what's going on here? Yeah, like, dude. what are we doing? It
0: right? is 100% spiritual, man. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. It's a connection. I mean, that's what makes it so intense. I mean, I know it's a job and I know we do it like, you know, 11 to 4, Monday to Friday or whatever, but gosh, those moments, like you bond with people over those moments. You leave the room and you're like, I love those people that I just connected with yeah. on a level that is metaphysical.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's the best job in the world. I don't know. I've worked enough jobs where, you know, I would just get down on myself. And every other job I've had, I was always writing songs instead of working. You know, I was like being a bartender, but I was like writing lyrics on a pad and like hoping another table wouldn't come in, kind of thing. So it's just like, <laughs> I know I'm doing the right thing, right? Survival for me too, songwriting is like, like, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So it was like, I have to do this. But um, I feel like I'm getting healthier with my mindset on creating and. I'm just hoping that that just makes life better because I know I'm going to be on this track doing the songs probably till I'm out of here. But like, I'd love to be in a place where I'm just like at peace and feeling good and happy and celebrating present moment, you know?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you could give yourself at the time you wrote this early song three pieces of advice, what would they be?
2: Well... I would say one of them is you're not in a hurry. This doesn't need to happen tomorrow. Don't focus on the future. To maybe not chase people or things or successes. It's first off counterproductive, but it's also like it creates desperation and it hurts your confidence. I guess one other thing would be love what you're doing. Do it for the right reason. Don't try to be someone you're not. I did that for years and years and years. I was trying to impress people. What do they want to hear? Give them that. I remember in hockey, they would say, go where the puck is going to be. All the little kids that learn hockey, wherever the puck is, they all swarm to the puck. If you're that one little kid that goes off to the side and that puck comes out, you've got a straight shot to the goal and no one's in front of you.
1: Tell us a little bit about this final song we're going to play today.
2: Well... I'm in a writing team with a guy named Tebe, who is an artist in Canada and a songwriter. He's very successful on both accounts, written songs with One Direction and a bunch of country artists. Yeah, I think he had a number one in the U.S. and he's got his own artist career where he's always on the radio. And Tebe's been a very good friend to me and also somebody who showed me a lot about crafting a song. And Danik also has been very influential on me as a producer. Danik is a brilliant producer. Um, He used to be in the band Emerson Drive, killer guitar player. But a lot of people like to keep secrets in this town and not show you how they do things. Danik opened the doors up for me and was like, hey, dude, sit down with me. I'm going to help you with your mixes. I'm going to show you you know, what to do with the subdivisions and production. And both those guys really helped me move the needle in my career. We write a lot together. We're always on the books. And the beauty of that scenario is we're writing songs for maybe Tebe's record. But if they don't go to Tebe, maybe they go somewhere else. So we're always excited about the endless opportunities. Like, we don't care where the song goes. We just want to find a home for it. And we want to write great music. So we all hold each other to a high standard. But we wrote that song for Joe Nichols called I Got Friends That Do. It was originally for Tebe, And we just thought it was such a cool song. We decided to get another singer to sing on the demo. So we called my buddy Josh Dunn, and we got him to do a vocal on it. And he comes in and he's just sounds like the radio. And then uh, that got shopped around town and got quickly picked up by uh, Joe Nichols, uh, producer and label. And they held the song, They're like we're cutting this in a few weeks. And then we heard it was uh, Dirks Bentley that was going to be on the song originally. And then we heard that that wasn't going to happen. And then we heard that Blake was going to be on it. So came out, and uh, we're hoping it's the next single, so cross, fingers, cross fingers your fingers crossed, for absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Well,
0: uh We here at Everybody Sucks are cheering for you, Jimmy, to get that. Um, thank you. And uh, We're hoping you do. I just can't tell you how much we've enjoyed having you on the show. You've tapped into, I think, a lot of stuff that me and Frankie both feel and talk about and dish about on a regular basis, and we thank you so much for sharing all that.
2: Dude, you guys are legends. I'm so pumped you invited me, and in. it's been great convo. Well, I'm David Boris.
0: And I'm Frankie C. And remember... Everybody sucks.
3: I met Jimmy on a bar stool, listening to old school country. They were playing them all. Made a buddy down in Key West. Met him on a weekend fishing. Now they're up on the wall. He says it's all about who you know. Well, I've got friends everywhere I go Ain't got a boat on the lake that I park on the water Or a 401k that I built from the bottom One of those credit cards that can buy this bar round or two But I've got friends that do Hey, Blake, you got any friends like that? Yeah, I'll tell them about it, son Listen up on a Friday to get a little sideways Always skip the line at the door We end up on a bender Cause he knows the bartender That's why we don't pay
0: anymore
3: He says it's all about who you know Well, I got friends everywhere I go they got a boat on the lake that I parked on the water By this bar around or two And got a house on a hill for a boom party For tickets to the game I can use come Sunday And got a bigger truck for all this stuff when I need to